I was not the most perfect child, which, you know, is probably surprising to a lot of people. And I grew up in a really tough neighborhood in New York. And I really did learn all of those skills, traits, abilities, things about myself through storytelling. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Lara B. Hello, Lara B. Hello, happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that's right. This is the first podcast I've recorded on my birthday, so you're special in that respect. I'm monumental already. Yeah, absolutely. Although it's strange because we have met each other once before in person. Yeah, we met on the street. Yeah, that's right. You gave me a light. That's right. Yeah. Dark, (laughs) rainy night. Yeah, although I had just seen you tell a story at the Spark in Brixton, which is where we met. And that's actually the first question I ask people is, how do you know? So how did that come about? Well, I ended up just sort of wandering into Spark because I had done the Moth and the New Eurekan storytelling events in New York. And I was in London and I thought, let me sort of check out the scene. That's where we met. That's where you were. And I got up and told a story. Everybody was really good that night. I think it was a really good topic. Flashbacks was the topic. And that, right. that made people come from really very different angles. And it was really interesting the way it went. I mean, had you prepared that story that you told that A little bit on the way there. Yeah, I had yeah. to. Mine was too long. Well, yours, was, <laughs> yours was very intricate in terms of narrative. Very well worked out, I thought. Yeah. So I was, I'm not surprised oh, that you, thank you. Well, you planned it a little bit, which I is did. fine. I did. I had mean, to. You have to. You, know? yeah, I mean, sure. you have to think about it. But Although if you come along on an open mic and you haven't planned, you definitely should get up and tell a story because some of those yeah. can be really great too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I do that a lot, but yeah. I knew the topic. I looked it up and I was like, oh, flashback. It was a good topic to have a prepared story for. I mean, yeah. I really enjoyed your story, which is part of the reason that I suggested we do this conversation. It was funny, right? Sometimes I'm funny. Yeah, it was funny. That's a thing, yeah. You've done The Moth then in America. Yeah, in New York City. a podcast that I enjoy a lot, actually, which is very much like Spark, apart from stories are a little bit longer, I think. On, on yeah, yeah. And I guess on the actual podcast as well, I think there's quite a high proportion of writers and actors and performers and people with a background in that tradition which is something we try to avoid at Spark but we don't succeed because there's millions of great stories told by writers and performers but uh, we're trying to get kind of everyone reach out to everyone yeah when the moth originally started I would say it, it really wasn't that it was more inclusive as it grew in popularity you know there were different people offering to take part and it's also very representative of New York. Yeah, that's New York what I was City, thinking. Manhattan yeah. is full writers, actors, dancers, painters, singers, models. You know, that's Absolutely. who can afford to live there. <laughs> New York is definitely a topic I want to come back to later in this conversation because I feel like you have a lot to say on, on the, that subject. But before we get to that, I should ask you the second question that I ask everyone, which is what do you do now? What do I do now? Well, right now I'm working with youth offenders. And I'm working on sort of telling stories. 
Fantastic. Not unlike the moth. True stories. Absolutely. True stories told live without notes. And I'm working with an organization and a half now. And I'm working on getting in with other organizations, local organizations in London. Because the thing about Youth Defenders is if people do want to hear from them at all, which they normally don't, yeah. they might want to hear about their experience as a youth offender, which is great because their perspective needs to be heard yeah. and there are changes that need to be made. But for youth offenders to sort of move into straight society, they need to develop a sense of self and be seen as something as more than a youth offender. Right. And so the storytelling, it encompasses all sorts of skills that would move, help them move in straight society. Not become a different person, but communicate better, more clear, self-esteem, bravery really, standing up, telling your story writing, rewriting, public speaking, if they wanted to get a job, it makes them more employable. Yeah, so that's when, what I'm working When you on. stand up on a stage and tell a story, you connect with other people. I guess a lot of young offenders, that's their problem. They're very they isolated. They managed to connect with, as you say, straight society yeah, and those kind of Yeah, they're very ways. isolated. They're very, they can't get jobs, they have a hard time getting in school. Often they've just been sort of stuck in one strata of society where getting an ASBO is a badge of courage instead yeah. of winning a storytelling award. Yeah, so it, really it moves them into a different world. And how did you come to be doing that job? The short story is I was not the most perfect child, which, you know, is probably surprising to a lot of people. <laughs> and I grew up in a really tough neighborhood in New York. And I really did learn all of those skills, traits, abilities, things about myself through storytelling. I grew up in second and C. Right. on the Lower East Side of New York City, 2nd Street and MSC, and right around the corner was a place called the New Eurekan Poet Society, which was started by uh, Miguel Pinheiro, who was an offender. He was a Puerto Rican, moved to Lower East Side, grew up in Lower East Side, on welfare in a basement apartment, grew up, became a junkie and a criminal, <laughs> was incarcerated, wrote an award-winning play, first Puerto Rican to win such a big award for a play, it was shown on Broadway, and he went on to open up the New Eurekan and he had the local people in there, not just kids, sort of going in and using it as a creative spoken word center. Wow. And I know what it did for me because, you know, I went from the ghetto to, to Ivy League University and really wow. it can only be that because I'm not particularly brilliant and I'm not particularly smart <laughs> and I'm not a supermodel and I don't have a trust fund. And, you know, I really didn't have people looking out for me, but I sort of had that to hold on to, which was sort of writing and storytelling. It was like the one thing I knew I could do. Yeah. And so no matter how many times people told me I was stupid, I knew I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting, because that story, that kind of archetype, if you like, mm -hmm. if, you, if, it, if you're comfortable with looking at your life yeah. as an archetype, I mean, that's one of the things that people use to sort of justify in a way the American dream as an idea do you know what I mean like it's it's, it's a strange one because it, it happens people get out of poverty like you, you do through inspirational things like storytelling they do it everywhere though not just absolutely. America and, absolutely and that, and, and, that, and that dream is that dream is sold to everybody and yeah. I mean I would definitely say that the UK is sold what you might call the American dream but yeah. it's, it's, it's been our dream for a, a long time so I think we can probably stop you know yeah. washing our hands of it but, but there's very much a class system in place and yeah. there's a set of rules, social rules, that one section of the world knows, of Western society, you know, for example, 
and another section doesn't. I mean, there are certain people who grow up with parents who went to college, and they hear the language of like managerial speak, the social structure is there within the home, and they grow up listening to Schubert and eating seared tuna. Yeah, exactly. And they have a social advantage when they're moving into different jobs, yeah. different parts of society. And they have white skin yeah. often, which, which is, is very convenient. Very easy. And I was really yeah. I I'm biracial but I look I appear to people yeah, yeah. to pass. Yeah. I pass, I blend, whatever. So that was definitely an advantage too. That's also a disadvantage. But that's a disadvantage in America and here you know, it's almost global. Yeah. I don't really believe that it's easy for people to jump class. Right. No matter how talented they are. No, that's what I think you know, too. It's, it's really an exception. I mean, that's and that's exactly what I, what I think too. And I, I mean, I guess that's why I was kind of highlighting that, yeah. that area of it because I think so often when people hear about people with stories like you, that that kind of justifies their. Their, their position of anyone can make yeah, it, you just have to try true. hard. It's and not, it's it not is true. Luck it, was as much near, as it was it was a Herculean attempt that I had to make yeah. for normalcy. Yeah. And most people don't even have the stability to attempt that Herculean move towards basic normalcy. Yeah, yeah, most sure. people who grow up in Kansas, they don't have the skills. So I think that's something that, you know, working with youth offenders, it's very helpful. It helps them develop some of the skills. Yeah. Also, since you brought up America, America <laughs> doesn't necessarily like talented people. They will tear you down if you are too talented. They look, they, they love to see talent fail and fall. They love it. And America doesn't like educated people because you're elitist in America. America likes rich people. Right. And so in America, to be considered successful, you have to be rich. Therefore, I'm a big, fat loser. Right. Because I'm not rich, but I don't care. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're not a loser in my right. eyes, absolutely. Right. I think that you're doing an excellent job and you've right. come from a situation which was less fortunate to a position which is fortunate. But they would not see me as a success. Although I see myself very yeah, you, much as a should, success. Yeah. But they would not. They have a whole different sort of idea of what success is there. No, I, yeah. So. Well, it, it, class systems in any country are complicated and strange. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in a way, in this country, even if you're rich, sometimes some people will see oh, you yeah. as not successful because you haven't got the right background. I mean, That's right. It's you a very can, you strange... Can never, you can never escape the class system that you're born into in England. Yeah. Never. It's hard, certainly. I mean, you, I, I guess you, the only way you, you escape it is by turning your back on your past. It's a strange one, you know. Yeah. By my grand. But it's always there. Yeah, no, it is definitely. Traces come through. You use the wrong word for something. Yeah. You like the wrong desserts. Well, that's exactly right. My grand married into an upper-class-ish family. I mean, my, my granddad was a, a doctor, but his, 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 he was a descendant of the Raj in India. He, right. he was born in India and he came over. And he was admirable in lots of ways. He was in CND and back in the day, and he refused to be a private doctor. He wanted to be a public. So, you know, Bad. I'm not writing him off for his class, but she, right. she wrote off her class when she got with him. You know, she had an affected voice, she put on a posh accent, she was working class from Yorkshire, but she had this posh accent. I guess the, the biggest image of this for me is she's now in her home, and she's very pleased in a way about that, because she kind of mixes with ladies, and she's quite a posh country home. 
but she puts fake plastic flowers in the flower beds because <laughs> yes. so, the deers eat the real flowers. And, it just, and, and she was like, don't tell anyone. And that just seems to symbolise everything about her, her kind great. of relationship to class to me. But yeah. That's great. Yeah. That, I love that, though. The thing is, like, once you do sort of like, like, I can go back to my neighbourhood. And there are still some people there, although it's sort of full of, like, the New York City version of Yummy Mummies. Ah, right, you know? yeah. It's, a gentr- a lot of, it's becoming it's, a gentrified it's very, area. It's, yeah. yeah, the Lower East Side, it's very, East Village, very gentrified now. There's a lot of, like, 43-year-old women who quit their job and miraculously had twins, all of them, you know? <laughs> it's, like, in vitroville. Um, they all have banker husbands. You know, it's kind of, it's gotten like that. But there's still people there. There's still, like, the projects, which are our... So they're still there. When I go back there, you know, and I talk to them and I see the way they look at me, they're just like, wow, man, you sold out and I'll never be cool and I'll never yeah, be a part I of bet. it. But then in my school where I went to, Smith College, it's a women's college, it's, you know, the Ivy, it's the Harvard of women, it's the Ivy okay. League, and all of the president's wives, not all, but a lot of president's wives go there and the great feminists and things, and they would say, oh, over on the break, we're going to go skiing, and in my neighborhood, skiing meant snorting a line of coke, and I thought, my God, what's wrong with these <laughs> girls, you know? So you don't really ever fit in in either place. I don't know how to ski. Yeah. I don't even know how to do coke. Yeah. Never done coke, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I don't fit in in either place, so... Nice. It you must sort of, be strange. It's strange. You can you can walk in both neighborhoods, but you you can't stay in either. You can never feel like you fit. Yeah, you just pass through. But there's a lot of us in that limbo yeah. now. You know. I think a lot of people's class experiences of a limbo, even if they didn't have a change of class, like. I would say that I'm kind of solidly in lower middle or upper middle at different times in my childhood, but I was middle class. You know, my mum's a social worker and my dad was retired and before that he was a documentary filmmaker, so he, that's kind of bohemian kind yeah. of thing. So that kind of puts you in a limbo already. Yeah, it does. And then yeah. I've, I've moved all around the country. In the UK, if you move from England, for example, to Wales and from Wales to England, every time you make that change, you're in a new limbo, you know. Yeah, you don't from, fit don't, don't think you fit you're in either Welsh place. You're not Welsh enough, you're not English Yeah, sure. Enough. And, and I mean, all my friends at, at school, because I went to a, what we call a comprehensive school, mm-hmm. were all working class. You know, I, I spent all my time in the working class areas. So I mean, I don't know. I, I, don't, I never really feel like I fit into any any class or any yeah. group or, uh, at all. I think that's a strength <laughs> these days. I think that's a strength. I think I, I'm glad of that. I'm glad of that that position because it kind of means makes me a bit objective. I mean, how do you feel about being an outsider? I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it, but I also think that I benefited quite a bit from seeing both extremes, and I'd like more people to be able to see both extremes and have the ability to walk in both worlds and pick, and just have the option to pick, you know, what what kind of person do I want to be, what kind of world do I want to be in, because a lot of people don't get that, they're just, they're born in one place, they stay in one place, they die in one place, you know, and that's it, but it's real, it's great, you know, I mean... It's funny, it's funny being a New Yorker and being involved in American all the time, all yeah. of a sudden American when New York's not a part of America. In America, we're like the red-headed stepchild. But, <laughs> and here, you know, it's just, it's funny because for someone who's always felt like an outlier, yeah. now I'm in another country and once again, I'm an outlier. Well, you just done you the, know? did you just do the citizenship test? I did. The way it works is you have to apply for a fiancé visa or get married outside of the country and skip the fiancé visa and apply for the spouse visa, which is what we did. It was not legal for me to get married in this country to my husband. He had to come to New York. We got married there. Then you're here for 
like a year and a half, and you have to get ready to apply for the next visa, which is called indefinite leave to remain. Right now, I'm married. I have a life here, but I have an expiration date on my passport. Oh, so nice. They can kick my butt out for like late library book returns, anything like that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I had to take the citizenship test. You, you do also have to take the citizenship, but I'm not getting citizenship. I'm not eligible for that. I'm only eligible for indefinite leave to remain, which is another like two grand. Every time I turn around, it's like two, three thousand pounds that they want from me. And then they're going to check me out and see if I'm broke or not, which I am, because they keep charging me <laughs> two, three thousand pounds for all these visas. And then if I'm not broke enough for them to throw me out after staying another year, then I apply for the little red passport if I want to. Okay. And that's another, you know, like thousand pounds. But you still have to do the test. But you have to take the test for indefinite leave to remain, and then you have to take the test for citizenship. But the pass that I got for indefinite leave to remain, I just handed in also for my citizenship. So it applies to eventual citizenship if, if I want to do that. Okay. Yeah, it's very complicated. They don't make it easy. Why did you come to the UK? My husband's from here. He's from London. Did you meet in America then? We actually met through a friend. He okay. had a friend who was living here. He was in a band with him. And that friend moved to New York and hired my best friend as his bass player. So I knew of him for a long time. And then I was going to come to London. And I saw him when I was here in London. So we actually met in London. Okay. Technically. Yeah, like right. I was living in New York and he was living here. And did you just decide to move after that meeting or was it a long No, no, long not right away. Thing. Yeah, no, we did the fly back and forth thing for a long time and then it was sort of like, you know, I mean, I'm not young. I'm in my 40s and I, you know, was not... My dad keeps telling me 40s is the new 30. It, it is. Yeah. He's right. I'll take that. Um, so... <laughs> But you know, I wasn't looking to like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, get married and make babies. And, like it was never my thing. Yeah. I just thought, you know, I'm a career woman, and I'm not wiping up anybody's vomit. That was my thing. And <laughs> but then, you know, you meet someone and you fall in love. And I still want to have babies. We have cats. We have two black cats. They're my hostages. They're indoor cats. You know, but I met him, and and that was the person I wanted to be with. That sure. was it. I knew. That's and nice. I hadn't ever. I had, you know, had boyfriends. And, people that I liked and people that I loved, but it wasn't like this. So that was just it. It really wasn't, I didn't really have to put a lot of thought into it. And a year and a half later, I'm even more sure. So that's cool. It's after we've been married. So it's been hard to move to England. Yeah. It's been very hard yeah. for me, but he's, he's worth it. Yeah, what, what? He's just worth it. I bet, I bet he is, and he seemed like a really nice guy. Because I, I met him, I was like, "Could you arrange a straight, a kind of sing, sing along, happy birthday thing with a whole group of people who I I'd never did. met before, which was great <laughs> uh, and surprising, and made me feel awkward because I feel kind of strange about birthdays." But, uh, but yeah, no, he seemed really nice. What, He's what, fabulous. When I think of you, I don't know you very well, but New York seems to be so important to your sense of identity. Yeah, I get, I'm, is that I'm a New Yorker it? first and a human second. It's really <laughs> how I feel. It's awful, but it's true. It's a very defining place to come from, New York, because it's very intense. But it's, you know, it's changed a lot, New York in general. It's becoming like middle America, just like people say Brixton is becoming Clapham. You know, everything's yeah. changing, and really uh, the location of my life is far less important to me than the love of my life. 
Sure. You I know? Can totally Especially because that location, I'm taking it for granted. It's always been there, and as far as I know, it's, it's always been, you know, for the most part, the exception of a certain neighborhood that was sort of attacked by terrorist planes, it's sure. always going to be there. <laughs> you know, most of it will be there. Nothing trumps meeting someone who really gets you, who makes you laugh, who is supportive of you, no matter how crazy I am, and I'm, I'm crazy, <laughs> I am, like I drive him crazy, I do things like I refuse to eat anything but Haribo Tang Fast Sticks for a week because I want New York sushi, and he laughs, he puts up with it, you know, I'm difficult, <laughs> and he's really creative, really smart and funny, and it's just, I'd rather be, I'd rather be in the pit of hell with this person than in the most heavenly place in the world with anyone else. No, yeah, so sure. he makes everything fun. Well, that's good. So he that's, really does. And that's why why you're able to, to deal with it. But, but what's strange about coming, what, I mean, I must be very much of a culture shock. And it must, what do you sort of think of the UK as someone who's I had, come here? I had spent a lot of time here in my life. I wasn't unfamiliar. I'd spent a lot of time in Dublin. I was in Camden Town when I was in my 20s. Right. Like you do. Yeah. You know? So I knew. <laughs> what it was like to be here but the thing is when I was here I never cared that they didn't have my moisturizer because I was going to get it when I got home I right. never cared that they had these crazy health and safety laws because they didn't really apply to me I didn't have to listen to them because I was just sort of hanging out passing through yeah. drinking pints talking shit can I say shit? Yeah, Sorry. you can okay. say any, <laughs> I've been trying like. really hard. You can swear as much as you like I, um, I'm terrible for swearing <laughs> I don't swear at work but yeah that's good yeah well, since I work with the under fives, it's kind of essential. You live here and you know that, like, it's, you just don't even know when you're going to be able to get New York sushi or Mexican and yeah. moisturizer and your friends are somewhere else and you're older, you're not going out. You know, it's not, oh my God, you can roll with one hand. Let's be friends like it was when I was 20. That's not really where I'm at right now. So yeah, it's different. It's a bit, I've made friends, though. Ages, I've met, like, yeah. awesome people, but it's different. It's not like we both drink. Beer, let's be buddies. Yeah, sure. So, and they'll never replace my friends in New York. They'll, they never will. I have certain friends, like you know, Ed and Heidi, and his soon-to-be wife Jacqueline, and just a lot of a lot of people who are really, really important to me. Yeah. And but they're still there, you know. And you can, I, mean, I imagine you go back relatively regularly. Well, we can't really afford to go back because every time we turn around, we have to pay for another visa. So any flights we would have been taken have been eaten no, up by sure. that. But it's also, it's been very hard to find work yeah. here. And I mean, that some of it has to do with the economy and a lot of it has to do with the fact that the English, and this wasn't my experience in Ireland when I was there, the English, from my perception, really think that you have to go to an English school and have an English degree and have an English work history in order to work in England. And since I don't, it's been a struggle. You know, I have a experience from back there and they sort of treat it like you climbed out of a ditch in Afghanistan even if you're from New York it's very sort of that's just their thing but that's you know that's all right I know people who can get waitressing jobs in New York because they didn't have any New York experience but you know it's been a struggle yeah no, in that no. way and expensive it's really expensive here. Well, yeah, London's so expensive it's as so well. Crazy. There's a lot of cheaper places in the UK than London. I mean, I've lived yeah. in them. Sometimes it's three times as much. Yeah, but the apartments are so much nicer than the ones in New York, even if you don't have any money. Maybe I don't know. I don't yeah, know much about it. Yeah, because there's like grass and trees and stuff here, and we don't really have. If you get to the outer London boroughs, yeah. in, in central yeah. London, it, they're 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 pretty much just mm -hmm. cupboards yeah. that you 
you have to mortgage your, your life yeah. to pay for it. Yeah. yeah, but all of New York is like that. Like, even, okay. you know, it's really hard to find any place with like a garden in here. Everything's got to go. What's with the garden craze, man? These people. Well, gardens are crazy nice, about right. the gardens here. It's great. No, it's great. <laughs> Everybody's got roses. That's not entirely true, obviously, as a generalization. But then you see all these American films where everybody's living in a kind of completely detached house. I know that's not the entirety of America, but no, yeah. like, well, when I went to Germany, it's America, like that as well. But, yes, you know, there's a lot of suburbs. areas. But I mean, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up in a tenement building yeah. across the street from a tenement building next to a tenement building behind the tenement building. I yeah. mean, everything you saw was like tenement buildings. There's parts of London where you could have that experience, mm -hmm. I reckon. So you, you grew up in the east side of New East York. Village. East Village. Lower East Side of New York City, yeah. Mostly. I lived in other parts too. Most of my research for this conversation has really been just looking at your Facebook page. <laughs> I noticed on there that you spoke Spanish. Yeah. Um, and a language I'd never heard of. I'm looking up that. Ladino? Ladino. Yeah. I have relatives in New York who speak Ladino fluently. My Ladino's kind of crappy. But it's a mix of Hebrew and Spanish. It's Sephardic Jews, Spanish Jews. And it's not, it's not a popular language anymore. They can understand Spanish and Hebrew, and they speak a mix of both. It's like Yiddish for Spix. Okay. We used to call it Spickish. Right. Which is not politically correct, but that's <laughs> how they self-identify. So sure. That's their thing, yeah. Ladino, Spanish. Um, my Spanish isn't that great anymore either. I never use it anymore. It's kind of sad. So is it a Spanish area, like a Spanish-speaking area? It was a very Spanish-speaking. It was, it was, it, you know, it was block to block. You know, you had like, a lot of Puerto Ricans, Cubans, not Spain. You know? No, no, no. I, I did, that's, why I, that's why I changed it to Spanish-speaking. Yeah, speaking, yeah. I, I didn't mean Dominicans. To then there were some Mexicans. And then you went a little farther, and then the Polish people, sometimes some Russian. And then you went the other direction, and it was all Jews. Right. And then some of those Jews were Polish Jews, Russian Jews, Spanish Jews. And so I lived on the last Spanish street, <laughs> right next to the first Jewish street. Okay. So that's what that was. Wow. So it was a lot of Spanish Jews. But we're Jews like, you know, like a Woody Allen Jew. Like we're not really Jews. We just complain a lot and look for bargains. <laughs> we didn't like eat kosher or have the funny curls or yeah, do any of that. I've never been to, I've been to temple like twice. Once because I had a catering job and it was in a temple and the other time because I really had to use the toilet and they let me. <laughs> That's it. And so you grew up in, in that area, I mean, and but then you went to an Ivy League university. Yeah, but I, I mean, went as an adult. After 9-11, right. I realized that um, I, knew, I knew people who passed away in 9-11. Right. including someone that I was very close to. And I realized uh, it was kind of like a shit get off the pot moment for me, you know? I had a job, I had a good job, I made good money. It wasn't about money, but I just decided I was going to do what I always wanted to do. And what I always wanted to do was get what we call a high school diploma. And that means you've completed school up to about age 18. So it would be your version of the, what, college, A-levels yeah. and stuff, yeah. right? So I, was, I didn't have that, even though I had a career. And everybody thought I did, you know, because I had that kind of appearance, perhaps, okay, right. let's say. I was very well read, but I didn't have it. So it wasn't like, oh, I wanted other people to think something more of me. But I just really wanted to do that for myself because I had never had that opportunity to give myself that chance to, like, be a student. Because I really hardly ever went to school when I was a kid. And so I just uh, I walked into a community college, which is 
like the lowest of the low on the academic food chain. Yeah. And um, it's like borderline vocational school. We have them. Yeah, you have them here. Yeah, I started there, and I and I took all of the most complicated classes. I took physics and music with a Juilliard professor who was teaching there, and I took advanced statistics in psychology with a professor from Stern School, and so I just went out of my way to get you know special approval to get into the best classes, and I got really good grades, and then I was mentored by a professor there. Basically, I was forced to apply to four-year schools. Why am I lying? I'm trying to make myself sound good. I wasn't mentored. This woman rode me like a dog. She followed me around the hallway. She handed me applications. She was like, you're too smart. Get out of here. And so I applied really just to shut her up. And I applied to six Ivy League schools, the top schools in the country. And I got into all of them. And then I had a complete nervous breakdown. But so, yeah, the only reason I have an education at all is because of 9-11 and because this crazy woman was harassing me in the hallways. How old were you when you went to the Ivy League school then? I, mean, like, I was older. I was, was um, a, what they call a mature student. Yeah, I'm still a mature student. Uh, <laughs> I was 33. Wow, okay. So but the other students thought I was like, they thought I was just like 23. I can believe that. Yeah, because I, like, you I, you, you look younger and you also have a, a bearing about you that is quite youthful. I have a youthful glow that can only be achieved by growing up in a severely alcoholic household. <laughs> it's a very special glow. You cannot buy this at the cosmetics counter, let me well, tell there you. you go. I'm stunted and I love it. Yeah, there has to be some, has to be some benefits. <laughs> so you went at 33. Yeah. It was probably about 30 or something like that when you started doing yeah. your diploma. Like 31. 31. So exactly the age that I, I am 31 today. So the, de- the age, that is, that's quite that's quite an intense idea, the idea of yeah, going, starting all of that now. Not even having like a high school diploma mm. or anything, but having a really good job and saying, right, I'm going to quit this really good job. Because well, what was I your job at that time? For the most part, it was like sort of working in the music industry. Okay. And it was really good working as a personal assistant. Yeah, and that's an industry you can get into, I guess, without very many qualifications or just work your way yeah, out. Yeah, everyone assumed I had every qualification anyway. They just assumed, <laughs> really. I mean, I was never asked. I mean, people just assumed I was, well, that's you know, great. I mean, again, university educated and I didn't correct them. No, well, who would? Uh, you know? Well, I guess some people would, but they probably wouldn't carry on working there if they did. So no, very, they, they d- definitely use their own assumption. But again, that comes with white privilege. Yeah, you know? I guess so. You I guess know. so. Or it's, or, it's, or it's the kind of smarts that you might get from having grown up in a, a background where you didn't have privilege. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's hard to make a call on that. It's a bit of both. It's yeah. a bit of street smart and white privilege and also being in New York where you're just exposed to a lot. Yeah. Why didn't you go to school? What was the thing? I mean, what was your experience of school like? I didn't go... <laughs> the school in my neighborhood had like metal detectors on the doors, armed guards in the hallway, right. someone was raped in the toilet, you know, it was just, it was a mess, but I'm not even going to lie to you, that's not why I didn't go. I didn't go because I didn't want to go, Yeah, I mean, because, I didn't go but I wasn't even years, scared, I mean, I was just a kid and my mother um, had a serious drinking problem and she was an immigrant, both of my parents were immigrants. I'm first generation born in New York City, and they both came from other countries, and so they didn't really kind of know about school. They didn't have any education. They didn't care about education. Education wasn't pushed. Uh, you know, I just, I sat home and I read books all the time, and, you know, I wasn't causing any problems. So 
it just it wasn't pushed on me, and uh, it wasn't uncommon either. I mean, it just sort of none of us really went to school. Sure. It was like a it was you know New York City. It was the '70s, and yeah. there was crack and heroin, and you know you didn't want your kids going to school. Dangerous yeah, that's, out that's, there, that's you know. True, which I think yeah, it's it very really true that bad. sometimes schools are a very dangerous. I mean, I found going to school a pretty hard thing to, to do but we don't have guns over here there wasn't the kind of drug issues that you're talking about there was some obviously drugs in the school but they were not you know it wasn't out there and it wasn't necessarily damaging anybody but I found school a pretty horrific place but I think for people in neighborhoods where going to school is literally dangerous to their lives why, why would they go to that place it's, it's a very strange idea to, that people would I'm surprised that anyone goes to school sometimes in, yeah. in some school environments. Which yeah, is, it's really sad and it's yeah. really hard. And honestly, a lot of the uh, youth offenders that I'm working with now, that's their situation. That's the situation that they're living in. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And they don't come from the, you know, go to school and get an education culture. And i got to tell you, I don't think getting an education is the answer to everything anyway. You know, I didn't get an education and get a better job. Like, that's not how it worked for me. No. That's not even why I did it. I, that was something personal that I wanted to do for me because, and it was pleasurable for me. I wanted to, you know, read and learn and 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 do those things and write papers and do projects. It was just, you know, I don't know what was it like one too many Molly Ringwald films in the eighties. I don't know why, but I wanted to go to school, so I went to school. But you know, I don't even think it's the answer for anyone. I mean, the most successful person that I know, not just financial, but like personally successful person that I know is my friend Rudy and um, you know he dropped out of school they never went to college and dropped out of high school and he's hugely successful so it's sort of different different strokes for different folks but um, I think that uh, whatever it is you really want to do if you don't give yourself the chance to do it you're stunting your own growth I don't care if you want to learn how to go parasailing you need to do it you know and for me it was it was school yeah I absolutely endorse everything you were saying really about education there but one of the things that going to school gives you can give you is a way out one of the ways out like there are a number of ways out of a poor situation you can be really sporty you can be yeah. very good at music. acting or music yeah or you can I guess study and get scholarships yeah um, how did you get out of that situation and into the music industry I mean I know you oh you know I just worked really I started off waitressing and then I waitressing in nightclubs and then I started promoting some parties and I started like I did a tiny bit of DJing I was crap and then um, I was really crap but I started doing the Dora parties and promoting parties getting people to show up to other people's parties on my own guest list and then I started bartending we had a lot of money in New York bartending you make a lot of money I mean we used to make like a thousand a night yeah and you'd be good I was a great bartender I used to out ring people twice my size on the register it was so fun because I was scrappy and tiny you know and uh, I loved it. I had a great time. And then I started working in all of the clubs in the music industry. And then doing management and promoting bigger parties, millennium parties, things like that. I worked in Miami Beach doing parties there. And I just loved music. Yeah, you know? so it was and, music in And way. I was always a dancer. Dancing is always something that I did. And so I got involved in like theater and entertainment. I started working with a woman named Penny Arcade, who's a New York City-based performance artist. She's a fucking genius, this woman. Google Penny Arcade New York City performance artist, trust me. She's great. And um, so I started working with that and touring and experiencing the world. And she really mentored me. And she would say, you're very, very smart. You need to train your brain. You can do things. You're a great person. 
and I just ran across a lot of New York City older. I hung out with people who were older. Yeah. You know, uh, that was always a thing for me. Like my friends, a lot of my friends are 20 years older than me. Really, it was like late stage creative parenting, you know, because I was raised by a pack of wolves. And I know that, you know, and I needed some parenting. And they gave it to me, and I, I just got involved in the arts, and it was all really good, and it was a good scene at that time. So I got, I got really lucky by the people that I met, especially Penny Arcade. And, I mean, I guess one of the questions I would, would have, just based on what you've said, is one of your parents was an alcoholic. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and a drug addict. Sure. I mean, what... And a really good painter. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 <laughs> she was a lot I'm not of saying things. it's the defining yeah, no, characteristic of her, of her yeah. existence, but there's two things about that that could have massive impact on your life. One is, obviously, the social element of how it was in terms of nurturing home when you were a child, but the, the other part is the genetic element, whereby, you know, you may very well have a predilection towards addiction yourself. Has that been something that you've had in your life or is that something just that you cigarettes. Uh, cigarettes just cigarettes I'm really lucky I'm not that a big lucky. drinker at all I don't really drink I'll drink maybe Prosecco maybe a white wine maybe a glass of champagne maybe a vodka tonic maybe, you know one of yeah. one of those things when I go out I've never been a big drinker and I've never been a drug addict but <laughs> the great thing is because my mother was a drinker and a drug addict she was always mandated by law to attend AA meetings and because she was now alcoholic and a drug addict we can never afford a babysitter which means that I grew up sitting in AA meetings in New York City hearing the craziest stories stories that a six-year-old should never hear okay okay never hear and it was great and it was like it was like you know it was my foundation for writing and storytelling. Because that's right, because you, you don't just tell stories live on stage, you also write stories. Yeah. I mean, I do. do you write true stories or do you write fictional? What, um, what do you do? I write, you know, I write, I'll write stories that are like 90% true. Sure. And then the ending is just never happened, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. what I do. So when people say, is it true? And I'm like, oh, all of the true stuff is true and the false stuff is false because yeah. a lot of it is very, very true. And I I don't want to write complete 100% memoirs because one, I don't think I'm that fucking interesting. Okay? Yeah. And two, I'm very much exposing the, the other people in the story. I don't care yeah. what people know about me. I just tell them, I don't care. But... There, you know, there's a certain amount of respect that you have to have for, for other people. I agree. And, you know, when, what they want told about them. And so if you say part of it's true and part of it's not, and I'm not telling you which is which, you can pretty much write anything you want about anybody you want, and nobody can say anything to you. So. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, so that's sort of Although how sometimes I they know, and that's, that's, yeah, they that's know. always annoying. I mean, some of my stories are 100% <laughs> true, but I won't say which ones. it's a true story. Oh, fair enough. When did you start writing? It's funny. I... I, when I was a little kid, I, I cut up some uh, craft paper and, and poked holes in it and tied string around it. And I, and I wrote, this is what love is, on the cover. And I, I was only about five. And I wrote inside what I thought love was. And I wrote, like, you know, giving someone a hug when they had a bad day. And I remember it, and that was my first book, and I gave it to my severely abusive stepfather, who I hated, absolutely hated. And that was my, uh, my first book. Was it to educate him? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know if I was trying to kiss his ass and save my life or educate him. That, that's what I remember as, like, my first book, you know, quote-unquote. 
But um, I've always written, but I would never consider myself a writer until after I went to school and someone else told me, who was educated, yes, you're a good writer, you can write, you have talent. Even though I always wrote and I always wanted to be a writer, I just assumed I wasn't and it, I couldn't be. I just thought it wasn't humanly possible. So when you say when you went to school, do you mean higher education or...? or? When I went to the community college. Okay. My very first class was an English class. And the very first assignment, I have no idea what this woman was thinking because it's a community college, people all ages. The very first assignment was write about the difference between being in community college and high school. Well, I never went to high school, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people in there, I'm sure, didn't. But so I figured I had two options. I could write what I was doing during those years and hand it in. Or I could, you know, use like Animal House and Molly Ringwald and do some kind of fake mock-up. And I sort of went for both. I said, well, this is what I was doing, but here, here's your story on what I, what my high school would have been like from my TV perspective. From like the, you know, I didn't grow up watching oh, TV. Yeah, yeah. But, and she loved it. And she said, you, you. It was my first assignment that I ever handed in. She said, you're, you're deeply and importantly talented. That's and, great. And it was amazing. And, and I had never really shown anyone anything I'd written, even though I'd always written. That's when I was like, okay, I can be a writer. Well, that's great. That's a really good yeah. conclusion to come to. And that's something to, to do with class right there, I think. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I grew up, I mean, I guess my dad was a writer, so I always, I always knew it was an option for a start. Not everybody knows it's an option. And then, no. you know, all the way through my life, I've, I've always conceived of myself as a writer because that word was available to me to apply to myself from yeah. whenever I chose to have it. Absolutely. If I was at five, if I'm writing something, you know, my parents are likely to say, you know, oh, Dave's become a bit of a writer or whatever. You know, right, which whereas is not in something other that would households, yeah. you know, well, I mean, you know, my mother's English was complete crap, so she wasn't even going to read it. But in other households, they don't, they don't grow up with that as an option. You work in the coal mine, you work in the factory, yeah, you work, exactly. you know, you get a job at the supermarket and then, or whatever, whatever's in your area. It's very limited scope from the parental vision. And that, that vision, that, the experience of people's parents, it is, it's literally like handed down to them like a family recipe for cake. Yeah. You know, you inherit that. And it's proven. I mean, in, in certain parts of the world, not all the world, but in certain parts of the world, if your parents went to college, you are 80% more likely to go to college yeah, sure, yourself, absolutely. meaning university here. And if they didn't, you're not going. Yep. Yep. And it was really hard because I didn't know I could go when I was 19. Yeah. I had been on my own since I was 14 years old. Uh-huh. You know, I was a runaway. I was on my own. I, was, I had an apartment. I had a job. You know, I was bartending, waiting tables, and everything was fine, but I had no idea I could go. I thought you had to have thousands of dollars, and I thought you had to have, like, all A's, and I just didn't even know. Because when you have parents who didn't go, and they don't know, I mean, I know, they, there's no way to know. I mean, you see it on TV, but it doesn't sit there and explain, like, this is how you go to college, yeah, you know? You just said that you were a runaway. I mean, what, yeah. what, what, how old were you when you ran away? Fourteen. Fourteen. I was in foster care. Okay. And before, I wasn't what, having before it. Before that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Foster care, I've heard lots of bad things. Yeah, about. it's it's not fun. It wasn't good. It was, uh, <laughs> it was like yeah. such crap. Yeah, it was bad. It was like, uh, the thing is, like, I went into it and I had a, the thing is I had a big mouth. And in my house, <laughs> if you had a big mouth. I don't mouth, believe that. Come on. Yeah, it's, I know. 
And, you know, if you had a big mouth and, and like, you talked back, you got beat. So I got beat all the time. So they took me out of the house, which was fine with me. I was like, see ya. And I didn't go to school. And, you know, I wasn't a bad kid. I was just reading books. I was, like, sort of this big mouth bookworm. And I was not particularly unhappy being a big mouth bookworm. They took me out of the house. That, you know, coupled with my mother's drinking and drugging. And they put me in foster care. But they didn't put me in homes with people. Because in my age, they sort of put you in like these group homes, which was like, and it was like prison culture completely, yeah. and it was like a training ground for like criminality. That's and what I've heard about. Yeah, places, and so yeah. I was like, this is not going to do me any good, and so I just, uh, I just took off, and I went back to New York, and I, and I got a job. I stayed with somebody new. So you lied about your age to get that job, then, or did you? I did. Yeah, yeah. I lied about my name, my age. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I said I was 18. In the United States of America, you have to be 18 to be a legal adult and be on your own, not right, 16. Right. So I had more years. Four than, years. Yeah, to, I had four years of living with a, a fake name and um, not being le- like they would have arrested me yeah. because it's a crime to, to run away when you're a ward of the state. Yeah, and I just was fine. Like, I was great. Like, once I was on my own, I didn't become a drug addict. I didn't become a, you know, a prostitute. I didn't become an alcoholic. I went out. I got an apartment. I got a job. I made friends. I got a library card. I read books. I, you know, made art. I was fine. Like, it was great. It was, like, the smartest thing I ever did, but highly illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) It's, It's funny how these things can go, though. I mean, it's... I mean, the conventional narratives are... You run away. That's what and you're yet, going to become. You become a junkie and it, hooker. And it's it's the case. Like, in, like but a lot of people that I, you know, the other runaways I knew, you know, some of them did become sure, junkie absolutely. hookers, and some and of them did. And I, um, my little sister was a young mum. She had a, her, my niece when she was 16, and it completely sorted her out. Like it's yeah. not it's not what you should tell to teenagers. Like, guess what? But my 16-year-old sister was absolutely saved by having a baby at 16. You shouldn't say that. No, I know. But you know what? i got to tell you, I mean, the dumbest thing in the world. I I adopted a cat, and it was like all of a sudden I had somebody who loved me. I had somebody to be responsible for. And when you grow up with no one and nothing, it's a cat. Yeah, it's a cat. It made a big difference, you know. I was responsible to someone. I had to come home. I had to feed someone. Someone was there for me. You know, I had to to be responsible. It made a big difference. And I mean, a child, of course, of course it's a human being. It could have a huge effect. If a cat could have, you know, a little cat, dumb little animal cat, can have such a big effect on someone. Of course a child can, you know. No, and it's true. I mean, it's obviously it's not something I would ever advocate. You know, as a as a tactic, having a baby, running away. Again, it's illegal, but there are lots, <laughs> there are lots of situations where I might suggest running away might be a good thing for some people. Yeah. You know? And it sounds like it was a good thing for you. Yeah, it was. Not for everybody, obviously, but. No, but I mean, you know, I wasn't running away from you know the perfect home in the suburbs with the beautiful front yeah. lawn and the pool and the two Weimariners and the matching Range Rovers in the driveway and the mom who was a teacher and the dad who was a dentist. Yeah. A kid you know, who runs away from that don't is run away from stupid. That. Even, yeah, if they, even if it's a horrible, loveless yeah, family. Even if you're allergic yeah, exactly. to the Weimariners, stay. Exactly. No, absolutely <laughs> right. Absolutely right. But I mean, that's, the, that's always the implication, isn't it? That, that kids are safer in the system than outside the system. And I don't think that holds true at all in some cases. There are some brilliant, like, don't yeah. get me wrong, there are brilliant people who work with teenagers. In fact, you are working with teenagers now. So, I mean, it is, it's definitely a very diverse experience yeah. that kids it's can get. It's better now. Yeah. It used to sure, be really bad. Better. I mean, it used to be 
you know, if you were taken out of the home for abuse, somehow that translated to you were a person in need of supervision. You were, you know, trouble. Yeah. When really, a lot of times, that wasn't the case. It was good kids in bad homes. Yeah. But they just, you were automatically criminalized back then. By your parents. Your which parents. Which is very interesting yeah. way of, 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 of treating children. Yeah, they just mixed you in with the criminals. If someone was taken out of the home because they were setting fires, they were your roommate, even though you were taken out of the home because you were abused. Yeah, sure. It was just all mushed in together. I mean, and, and that happens less now, but it still happens. It happens a lot less now. It was really bad in New York. I bet. And, yeah. you know, this is... A, a, a few decades ago. So. And I wasn't perfect, you know. I used to do stuff all the time in my neighborhood. Like, I used to, you know, they, in my, on my street, they called me Click because I was thinking all the time, come up with ideas. I was always coming up with ideas to make money. I used to, they, my neighborhood was changing a bit and people were buying lofts and they were having these loft parties and we, you know, on like the sixth floor walk-ups. And we'd, I'd be like, I got an idea. We can make some money. And I'd stand there. And I'd say it's uh, all you can eat and drink, but it's a $10 entry fee. And so we'd collect like 60 bucks, and then they'd all be climbing the stairs for 10 minutes. We'd be long gone, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, that's illegal, you know? Sure, I used to do shit, but I never... That's illegal, but that is... But it was funny. Yeah, and anyway... And it was fun. Yeah, exactly. And it might be illegal, but I don't think it's morally suspect. If you haven't got very much, that don't... Uh, well... It's a complicated area. I don't it is, but you know, if you if you haven't got anything, you've got nothing to lose. Exactly. And that's where we were. We had nothing to lose. Yeah. If you want people to not try and take advantage of people with more money than them, then you've got to give them more more hope, more life, more opportunity, more, yeah. more money. Like on a practical level, yeah. more money. You know, is what 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 everybody, I guess, of each poor needs and some some sense of when they get that money to, to do use it, it wisely yeah because yeah. it's so easy to just I mean blow it on drugs or drink or whatever you know which is I guess unfortunately yeah, well, I mean, what happens it, to a lot of people yeah in my neighbourhood if, if you looked around and you saw who had money then that's who was successful and then, then that's when the drug dealers you yeah, know that's um, sure. that's it that was everybody's goal that's you know you yeah. wanted to be like the people who had the nice things and the respect and that's who it was we didn't, we didn't have a lot of gynecologists running around yeah, the hood you know exactly. and when you see those drug dealers as well you, you see everything that they've got but you yeah. don't necessarily see the life see they, they had to live it, to no. get there you well we I mean well, you, of, it, of course you but... saw that too <laughs> but you're mainly focusing on the yeah the kind of that the car and yeah. the and the and the and the, and the money and the bling I guess or whatever it is because we were living that life yeah. anyway we weren't making any money sure we're living in the same shithole. Exactly. Living the same life. We're seeing the same things go on. We're seeing people OD. You know. Well, it's a complicated. It's. A, I mean, it's a. Compl- I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I'm even passing comment on it. It's not like I, I, I've watched The Wire, but that's not really. <laughs> that doesn't give you. Uh, yeah. Like hood credit. I do work in quite poor areas of London now, and I, I sort of see some of this stuff. No, nowhere near as much as. As I, I guess I would see if I lived in those areas because you know when you yeah. pass through yeah. and you've got white skin and you know you, and you work with kids and you've got wearing a purple shirt and you've got a beard you know you don't have the same experiences that somebody that actually lives in those places has no um, definitely not but the kids in those areas are wonderful you know I mean yeah. under five they're, they're brilliant yeah you know and I I sort of see those kids and and think it's so sad in a way that this group of 30 children who are lovely 
the some of them, some of, of them are going to end up yeah, where? Exactly. Yeah. Like it's statistically, I know yeah. that some of these lovely, lovely children, because I think pretty much all toddlers have loveliness in them, even if yeah. they've been spo- spoiled or ha- or mistreated, whatever mm-hmm. things oh, cause children, yeah. they have some loveliness in them. You know, I've never met a child under five that I haven't seen something I could love about them. I meet lots of adults that it's hard to find something like yeah. that. And it's like what goes between that child and the adult. That's yeah, the it's everything that happens in between. But it doesn't have to... The thing is, like, just because... Just because, like, people grow up in a crap neighborhood and just because they don't have some deep, defining easy to identify talent and just because they you know might not have the best education I I still don't believe that it's any excuse for them to give up on themselves even though it's not easy it really is it's just a Herculean attempt the normalcy that's really what I had to go through I mean they say you know I told you I grew up going to these AA meetings, yeah. signing my, for my mother's signature in and out. She was out smoking in the parking lot. But I would listen. And they say in AA that, you know, when you grow up in an alcoholic home, it's like you've got the beer goggles on. The, how the drunk person sees the world is how you're taught to see the world. So you're wearing those beer goggles, you know? Like, I see the world as I was taught to see it, which is through the eyes of the crazy drunk. Yeah. And you, you have to, 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 at some point, learn to take them off and, and, and see a whole new world, which is blinding, emotionally, mentally, even physically blinding. And it's the same thing when you grow up in any extreme situation. It's not just alcoholism. If you grow up with a father who's telling you, you know, every, this is just a, a made-up example, but if you grow up with a father who's telling you every day that, you know, you're going to get raped, you're going to be fearful. That's how, you know... Or if you grow up with a father who tells you every day that you, you, you know, you, you're no good at sports and you never will be, then you're probably going to believe that. Yeah. And we all have that to some extent. You know, it doesn't matter if you do grow up with, you know, parents who are like, you know, you, you know, your mom's a gynecologist and your father's an ophthalmologist and you got the Weimariners and the Range Rovers. They're still there telling you the world is the way, because we don't see the world as it is. You know, we see it as we are. And so they're seeing the world as they are. And that might be from a solely heterosexual point of view, and that son might be gay. Yeah. So it's, there's always something. So it's not like just because you grew up in a crap shit fucking ghetto-ass neighborhood like I did. It's not an excuse. It's, it, it's, it's an explanation for certain behaviors, but those behaviors and those views and those choices after those behaviors and views are worked on, those choices, they can all change. Sure, and it's, absolutely. But the crazy thing is you still, you start so far down on the socioeconomic ladder that yeah. that climb to get to normalcy, which takes about 20 years, everybody's still 20 years ahead of you. But the bottom line is, you know, you can't, you can't look at everybody else. You just got to look at your own progress. And that's why I like working with, with teenagers. Sure. I mean, I guess we, we might run a little over. Is that okay? I don't care. Cool. I got a big mouth, right? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. It's a good, it's, it's, well, because, I mean, I, I write down loads of things that I'm going to ignore because we either covered them or they weren't that interesting. But the last element 
of, of what I wanted to talk to you about is feminism, I guess, because when I first heard you tell your story, that was a very feminist story. And, Not and really. I, well, I, it was about feminism. I did use the word feminist in it, right? Yeah, it you used kind of, the word feminist. Yeah, but I'm like a whacked out feminist. Like, I think yeah. women should definitely pole dance. Penny Arcade, <laughs> who I worked with for years, she's got pole dancers in her show. And her thing is she's like, she's got erotic dancers in her show, okay, a show about censorship, and she's a feminist. Yeah. But I'm from that school of feminism. And she says, out of all the hundreds of thousands of things that men have in to control women. Pole dancing is the one thing that women have invented to control men. So, That's an you know, interesting she, it's argument. great. So, Penny Arcade, she's doing a show at the um, Albany Theater in December. You should check her out. Okay, she's okay, great. You, you, I, I do intend to. Yeah, she's great. She mentored me in, in a huge way. She, she mothered me and uh, she didn't take any shit from me and she made me who I am today. And I, I am forever indebted to that woman. But she was part of Andy Warhol's. Uh, Factory. She was an Andy Warhol superstar. She's she's I amazing. I Yeah, she's, I'm, I'm big into into well, the Velvet Underground. Yeah, how I got into yeah, she, Andy Warhol. But yeah. they, she knew all of them. She got drunk with all of them regularly. Oh wow! But she's and, but she's not a drunk, <laughs> thankfully. Um, she's awesome. Um, but she, uh, you know, she really. I always thought, you know. I didn't really know a lot about feminism when I was 20 years old because I sort of just grew up in the ghetto. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's it's, not it's a lot... one of the many like, things I don't tell you in the ghetto. Yeah, well, because feminism. the women in the ghetto oh, were not fighting to go out and work. They were working. They wanted to stay home and raise their children. They didn't have that luxury, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So it was like feminism is like a white, upper-middle-class kind of thing, like your general feminism. So in I come way. from more... Yeah, because the, the whole feminist movement, I mean, that's the women who sure. went to my school. It, the they feminist went to Smith movement, College. like all movements, yeah, that comes from Gloria the privileged. Steinem, You're Betty right. Friedan, they went to Smith College. Where same I with went. the big socialists, the same with the big yeah. communists. All, all of yeah. these people who went to Oxford and Cambridge in this country, you Absolutely. know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. So it's the educated people, You have to be thinkers. privileged enough to get to these conclusions because you've got yeah. time, you're not working hard. Privileged enough to yeah. say, I want to go to work. Absolutely. That's privileged. Now they all want to stay home and raise the babies. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, that's a new feminism. Um... I didn't really know a lot about feminism, but my thing is like, I just think human beings, it's just like for me, it's gay rights, gay marriage, feminism, men's rights, you know, paternity leave for men. I'm just, I'm very much a liberal. I, I believe in people did over you, policies. It, did you put in your religion, I can't remember if it's your religion or your politics on Facebook, I believe in universal, in, in human international rights. human yeah, rights. That's, yeah, that's it, you know, and I think women, feminism is for women, women are human beings, you know, and human beings deserve equality. So sort of that's my take on feminism. Sure, and if I'm, a well, woman wants to whip out her vagina to make a couple of bucks, I'm all for it. I, me too. I mean, and, yeah. I mean obviously... Uh, would be more likely to be for that, but I mean, I, I, I am. I mean, I do it though. No, well, that's, <laughs> that's your choice, isn't it? I, I don't think that necessarily the world we have now makes it as clear cut as that. So, like, yeah, if a woman wants to do that, that's yeah. fine. How many women who are doing it want to do it? Yeah, How, you know, that's that's, a, that's an interesting question that's the difference because right a lot there. of them, you know, probably don't. And for years, I didn't call myself a feminist, and recently, I've. I've come to the conclusion that I, I can say I'm a feminist even though I'm a man. I mean, I was brought up by feminists. Yeah. Uh, and I call myself a humanist. Yeah, I call myself a humanist too. You know? But I mean, I guess the, 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 the reason to have a separate word for feminism is because the situation between women, women for women not, is it's, certainly worse. It's, yeah, well, and also and it's, a, it's, a, it's the identity of, of the silenced sector. Yeah, you get, they, they get, to, they get to call their own themselves whatever yeah. they like, and, and, and that's absolutely fine. But I mean, my, my conclusion about 
you know most feminist issues is I think that they are also issues that benefit men like yeah. like absolutely men like, and daughters and wives exactly too. Well, absolutely yeah. grandmas e- equality between Moms, the sexes yeah. but also like um, attitudes towards gender massively oppressed women but they also they oppress men oppress men I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say massively because I don't think it's to the same percentage no but certainly as a man growing up who wasn't very masculine and continues not to be very masculine you know as you say when I turned up I'm wearing a purple shirt yeah so, you know it's funny in the the kids I work with are always kind of commenting on my my earrings, which is hilarious because I'm sure all of their dads have like sure, gold but ones, they have them in but, the but it's in a different spot. part of the ear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So somehow it's I'm sort of feminised by this. Standardisation. Exactly. It's weird. Gender standards. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I, you know, I love being a girl, and I'll be the first one to be like, you know, sort of loving the fact that someone holds a door for me because there's 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 a beauty in it but at the same time you know you know i want equal pay <laughs> i don't know how to explain it and i really i think the feminist movement right now is just complete crap shit because you know they're not encompassing all women they're really not and it's just it's like any movement you know it's like you know the, there's a certain portion that, that, that sort of starts the movement and then they don't you know there weren't many black women involved in the original feminist movement but there were a hell of a lot more then than there are now involved yeah. in the feminist movement that's, that's right. and this, they call this the second wave the third wave the 57th wave of feminism I don't even know and then there's post-feminism yeah I don't even know stuff. and then women saying I don't want to be a feminist because I shave my legs and I just don't even... To me, it's just a hot mess. Well, a lot of women won't identify themselves as feminists because of the negative views they have of feminists rather than agreement that... You know, a lot of people who say, I'm not a feminist, believe in equal pay. Weirdly, a lot more people are feminists now in the original sense, yeah. but they wouldn't call themselves feminists that's a lot right. of the time. I mean, even men, there's a lot of men out there that ag- agree with equal pay but, and would think that that's an absolute right. But a, but because would, because know. feminism encompasses a lot of things, sure. and the thing is, like you know, I, you know, personally, yeah, yeah of course, of course, I believe in equal pay, right? But yeah. I think that um. There's a lot of things about feminism that that I don't like. Okay, what are they? <laughs> the fact that it's just gotten really, you know, it's become very separatist. You know, you, you there's 35 different kinds of feminists, and and none of them like each other. Yeah, that's you yeah, know, yeah. it's it's I, ridiculous. I follow a lot of people who define themselves as feminists <laughs> on Twitter, and I do see a lot of that. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of the time because. I mean, it's a weird time because it's there really is a war on women happening right now I mean in the states it's happening in this country it's happening even more they're talking about changing abortion law in this country at the moment and there's terrible things going on towards women it should in a way I know this is terribly kind of patronising for me to say as a man but it's definitely a time when women should be standing together and men should be standing with them we should all be standing against this war on women as you say everybody's got uh, women in their family everybody loves a woman of some kind and anyone should want their rights to be protected like and yet at the same time there is a there is so much divert like yeah yeah everybody's they, they're just you know which is what the left says, has always done and, you know, it's, it's one so woman says that yeah. you know if you're you know feminism you know pole dancing is part of the feminist movement and another woman says you know pornography is not a part of the feminist movement yeah. and 
that's why I just believe it should be a humanist movement, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. It's like, it's just about general equality, but it doesn't happen again and again and again. It's like, you know, how long are we going to keep talking about the fact that women get paid 20% less than men before we do something about it? Yeah. And now i got to tell you, in this country, they do have an equal pay law, and they've had it for a long time. I yeah. learned that on my Life in the UK test. Yeah. Stupid test. I also learned that the next UK census is going to take place last year for my <laughs> Life in the UK test. Um, but, uh, you know, in America, they don't have equal pay laws. The, the Equal Rights Amendment, it didn't pass in America. So. Yes. They don't have it. So, I don't know, in a lot of ways, although, you know, England it's still very much old school, in a lot of ways they're significantly more advanced. Women got the right to vote here, you know, way they, they had earlier. To get, they had to get trampled by horses to get they, it. Yeah, you know. But, I mean, yeah, absolutely. They did, but they, you know, and they, they, won it, and they, they won if it. They, if they owned property and they were over 30 years old, they had the right to vote. Yeah, exactly. And then eventually they got the right to vote at the same yeah, age. Yeah, the class system kicked yeah, in as soon as, women, in, as, soon as you know? women got the right to vote. Yeah. It was only, yeah, It's exactly. always the class system here. It's so funny. <laughs> Even making tea, it's like, you know, they can tell you class by the way you make tea. Sure. Well, God forbid you drink fucking coffee like I do. Uh, um, well, I do that. And you do, yeah. We're classy. And then they got the right to vote eventually. You know, it was all women at the same age as men, which at the time was 21. And then in the 60s, everyone got the right to vote at 18. And so it's progress, not perfection. Yeah. It is. It's progress, not perfection. But I do think in this country that uh, in many ways, they, they, you know, it's an older country and <laughs> women have kicked their ass more, maybe. I don't know. But they've, they've made a lot of progress here that they haven't made in America. They don't have the whole Jesus thing. And, yeah, it's, you know, not as, it's certainly not as prevalent here. Uh, it's not. As it is. But, it's still, but, the, but the unequal pay, even though there's a law that says it can't exist socially, it does exist. Well, also, I mean, there's, a, there's a, you know, I guess the other, the other big feminist issues, apart from equal pay at the moment, are rights to your own bodies, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the, the whole, rights. all of that stuff, which is much worse in America. I'm not much saying worse, it isn't yeah. getting bad here, but it's nowhere it's near as bad. Jesus Christ, the stuff it's that ridiculous. happens. Uh, in America is, is, is terrible. I guess the other big things are, you know, about... Mm. But, you know, here I, I've been asked on job interviews if I plan on getting pregnant and having children. Yeah, well, that's a, the, yeah, and that's a big part. That definitely happens, and, and, and there is definitely... And I'm quite a, sure that even though I said no, which is the truth, that it affects their, their uh, hiring sure, well, decisions. Well, your age and the fact that you're married as well, well means that people are going to think, think she's I'm definitely going to get pregnant get straight away. Vitro, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Like I couldn't get knocked up naturally like all my friends. Come on, <laughs> hey, I could do that. No, but I mean, you, you, but yeah. there is definitely that. But I mean, I guess the other big area that is quite prevalent at the moment in terms of the battle lines in this country is to do with safety, the right for women to walk down the street wearing what the hell they like without men getting in their faces about it. and the right to be in workplaces and not be sexually harassed you know those are big feminist issues as well and those yeah, I think those are big issues in this country harassment thing in this country is really interesting because I've you know I've been here for a year and a half and I've worked freelance in different work environments uh, marketing I worked for uh, Royal Ascot I was in charge of uh, the I, I hired trained you know everything the tr first time ever dress code assistant called the fashion police for Royal Ascot this year that was my contract and I just I've worked in different environments here and things that are said all the time in this country to women if it was said in New York to a woman they they the men would be afraid to say it but 
the men here, they are not trying to sexually harass women. They're not thinking they're sexually harassing women. They're really not. I think that's true. They're not at extent, all. Yeah. And they're not trying to. They're really trying to, to relate and be funny <laughs> and be they really are. I've seen it because the first few times I heard things I was sort of stunned. And I'm watching the reaction and it's not even a part of the culture here. And it's almost and it's not severe. I mean they're not saying, you know, hey, yeah, maybe yeah. you take your tits out at work. But it's just the little things. It's just gotten it's gotten so restrictive at least in New York, from what I've seen, that it sometimes made it uncomfortable. You're hyper-aware that you're a woman and they're a man and therefore you can never yeah. really be friends at work. Well, it's all about intention. I, I think that's that's really true and about how people choose to interact. Like, like I mean, you know, I, I actually, I mean, I, to a certain extent, I, I believe in political correctness. And so it is... I do too. It, it, it is, and we, we've actually been talking about things, things like this on Facebook. There are certain words that yeah. I really don't Exactly. Like. There are words that I don't think should be used. Yeah. But at the same time, the policing how people use them in the way that we do creates very different barriers and it doesn't change. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, I, I definitely agree because with challenging people on their the, languages. They're not but. dealing with the, with the emotional part of it. They're dealing with the behavior but yeah. not from where it comes from. And it's the same thing like when you work with um, with teen offenders, you know, when you incarcerate them, you're dealing with the behavior, but you're not dealing with where it comes from. Yeah. And the problem is with these policies that are being put into place, it's laws, it's exclusionary, it's restrictive, it's punishment, yeah. and it doesn't work. You're just, you know, you're, because you, if you never deal with the root of it, which is the emotional area, yeah. with teens, with adults, with anything, if you don't, really deal with that then human beings don't progress yeah they don't no and it, I agree. it stunts society but you know can you really rely on your government to deal with the emotional well, inaccuracies issue, of human beings you can't and that's why it's up to us as people i agree with this yeah. right there's people like me and you we, we have been through shit and we know and we know so we we get in there and we just muck in right <laughs> we muck in that's what we do in england we muck in well i think i mean that's the thing it's like in terms of sexual harassment, you could have somebody who wasn't hitting any of the kind of criminal things where, where they, but they would be completely sexually harassing someone. Someone who was judging everything legally correct, but really making a woman's life a nightmare and exploiting their sexuality in the workplace. And then you could have a friendship which is perfectly happy to, to say absolutely horrific sexual things absolutely. to each other. That's, and that's fine. But, but that's within the boundaries of that absolutely. friendship. Absolutely, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm a really easygoing person. Like, I, I don't, I pretty much give people the benefit of the doubt. That's how I am. But when, but, but, you know, if you push me too far with anything, like anybody, I'll tell you to fuck off. And <laughs> that's just how I am, right? That's how everybody is. And um, I think that it's, it's really, it's about personal comfort level. And how is a man or a woman supposed to know what someone else's personal comfort level is? It's just very hard. It's 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 a, it's it's one of the things about like like just being a part of mod modern society, and it's perfectly socially acceptable in large parts of this country and in most of America to to say, oh, that's gay, for example. Yeah, yeah. You know, but well, I um, grew up saying that. Yeah, that most people did. You know. And I grew up with just a lot of, lot of gay people, like a lot, and you know, it was like, it was gay-tastic. Like we just had, you know, trannies and drag queens and bisexuals, and that's just the, how it was. 
So a lot of it has to do with where you come from and yeah. what you're taught. And it goes back to what I was saying where, you know, you got the beer goggle glasses on from a different generation. And we all have that to an extent because our parents all grew up in a different generation and they all, you know, had different views. And then they put those glasses on us and we got to take the beer bottle glasses off. Some of us has, have thicker lenses, you know, than others. Like, you know, what are you going to do? But we all have to sort of go through that process of growth. And what's horrible is that a lot of people just automatically expect other people to be exactly where they are, no matter what yeah. their history was, yeah. no matter what their background was, and they're socially penalized for not being there. Yeah, people don't engage with other people because That's they right. hear these kind of they words judge. and they, they, yeah, they immediately back off. Or they, they, they say, you're different. Or they penalize moment, them. Yeah, in that moment, they are they are being prejudiced against yeah. somebody else for their for their for that person's life experience. Yeah. Until you engage with that person and challenge them, then they can't make a decision which word to use. That's right. That's and you know, what? And we're like, all ignorant. Yeah, I don't care. I, yeah, absolutely. We are. I am ignorant. Everyone is ignorant. I'll never know what it's like to be Prince Charles. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. he'll never know what it's like to be me. We come from sure. two different worlds. That's an extreme example. But right now, in this world, with how everyone's moving around and just the transportation alone, the airplanes. You are living next to somebody who could have lived a very different life. You could be living next to someone who marched through the Somali jungles and saw their friends eaten by tigers. Do they have tigers in Somali? They may not. Jungle? I don't know. <laughs> okay, kangaroos, whatever. But, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, certainly you could be sitting next. I mean, yeah. this is something that I mean, I'm you know really aware of in London. I mean. You could be sitting next to a Somali woman on a bus who may have had horrific things happen yeah. to her in her past, or you may, or you know, or you, you may, could be sitting or, next to someone who was, you know, royalty in yeah, Africa. Yeah, royalty and never that you it. never know about. Absolutely, you never or, you know, know it. You, you get, you know, you, that's that's absolutely the case. Yeah, when it's you. interesting because uh, I have quite often been told I don't look Jewish. You know, which is yeah. really interesting. Because how do you how do you look at religion? <sighs> It's not really possible, you know, you can't can't look a religion. And it's an ethnicity, but how do you look such a broad ethnicity? How, what do you mean I look Jewish? I don't look like, what, Russian Jew? Well, Jewish Spanish is complicated Jew? anyway, because yeah, unless you've like, got a Jewish mother, isn't it? That you can't, yeah, and you I can't, do. Yeah, so you are, so te you're, you're technically Jewish. Yeah, no, I'm all Jew. I'm Jew. Yeah. Oh, I got okay. Jew on both sides. I'm a Jew. But it's just, you know, it, that's like saying, you know, you don't look Protestant or you don't look American. Yeah. America's a big country. There's lots of different looking people well, there. Well, appearance is really weird because you know? I've actually, yeah. some people have thought I was Jewish and I'm not Jewish. And some people, when I, I, I used to have a Turk, Turkey t-shirt and, and when I went, used to walk through Turkish neighborhoods, people would come up to me and talk to me in Turkish and I'm not Turkish. And so, you know, appearances can very much be deceiving. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just funny here. People have asked me, like, what kind of self-tanner I use. I don't use self-tanner, you know. <laughs> I don't self-tanner on. It's just weird, you know. No, absolutely. So, I mean... But in it, New York, people don't say, oh, you don't look Jewish. Goldie Hawn's Jewish. You yeah. know? Come on. Goldie Hawn? Well, that's Does she true. sound like an Irish girl to you? Is that an Irish name? No. <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, yeah. I guess that's the thing in, in America that I think is very telling about ethnicity. In America, white people talk about ethnicity. So you get yeah. people saying, I'm Irish, I'm yeah. Polish, yeah. you know, you get I'm Italian. A, Italian. So you, 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 that, that's kind of, that's because I guess you're a country of immigrants. That's that right. everybody has some kind of yeah. lineage. Whereas in the UK, it's like you're either, you're assumed to be from the 
main populace. Yeah, or you're either other. white yeah. or you're an yeah. immigrant, maybe an immigrant although, three generations back, but you know, still an immigrant. You know what, what someone said to me once? Oh, on, you know what someone said to me once here? I met this group of English women and one of them said to me, uh, she was asking me, like, what are you doing here? I said, I'm married. My husband is English. Oh. She says, uh, mm. she talks to me for a while. Where are you from? From New York. Oh. And she said, she literally asked me, Church of England. I said, no, I'm not Church of England. I said, I'm a Jew. But, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, she was like, oh, I'm a Jewish. And, you know, I talked to her for a little while. <laughs> and uh, eventually she says, do you have uh, a British passport? I said, no. I said, I have an American passport. I said, but I'll be here for two years. I get the ILR. I'll be here for another year. I'll apply for the, the British passport, and then I'll have the British passport. And then she said, oh, okay, well... You may one day be British, but you'll never be English. Yeah, well. And I said, damn straight, honey, because I'm from fucking New York City, you, you know? Be, yeah, exactly. Like, what is your deal? But it is absurd anyway, because what country isn't a country of immigrants? Like, yeah, you know, and this is a country of immigrants. It massively is, you know? We were invaded by a hell of a lot of people who we then sucked into our Even populace. Even before that, they invited people here. They invited people yeah. here, you know from the West Indies to, yeah. to become, you know, bus drivers. They invited textile workers to go and work in the north, yeah. in Pakistan. I mean, they've had, they've had invited immigration in this country. People came here to rebuild after the war from Ireland, yeah. you know? Well, no, I mean, I agree. It's just, it, this is just as much an immigrant country as America is, only so. it has a sort of natural indigenous population. But what is that indigenous that population anyway? I, mean, I this don't is the know. Other thing. It's like, this is the thing that the, the, that indigenous population came from a hell of a lot of different... trace themselves back to the 1300s yeah, when they were often, in huts. Yeah, but think. when they get back there, they probably were French. You know, you yeah, know, you know, know. that's the thing. Like, they, that's the aristocrats in this country my come from all says, over the My friend Europe, says we're you know. all Ethiopian Jews. Well, well that, that's it. I that mean, that's, that's the, the thing. Are we all? We were, yeah, exactly. That they found Ethiopian Jews. But we're so pretty much all immigrants. We yeah. all we began yeah. in Africa, and we've all come from there, however far. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. some people, I mean, they feel like they've got more of a stake on it here because they've been here for generations. They are the skin color that is socially acceptable, the eye color. They have the surname that's socially acceptable, like the accent, whatever the fuck that may yeah. be, that's socially acceptable. You know. And uh, there's a lot of classism in England. But the thing is, you know, I don't give a fuck because I don't really know what class I am. I grew up in the ghetto. I have an Ivy League education. I'm not from this country anyway. I'm from New York City, which is, I'm sorry. It's the greatest city in the world. It's the center of the universe. I love London, but it's not New York. You know, London has a great history and New York has a great future. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, they can't pinpoint me. They can't pigeonhole me. So... You know, I don't know what they think of me, and I, I really don't care. It's a kind of nice position to be in, I guess. It is. It's, it's, and I've, all, you know, I'm in that limbo position, and I just, I just don't care. And they talk about my accent all the time. They're all like, oh, that's an accent. I'm like, look, you can't pronounce the letter R any better than I can. Okay? <laughs> Same fucking accent. Just piss off. Yeah, yeah, sure. But yeah, they don't, they don't laugh. You laugh. I laugh. <laughs> it's true. We've run wild over, but it's been a real pleasure <laughs> getting better acquainted with you. And that's why I've run over, because I just... Oh, there's so much that I could still talk to you about, but uh, I, it's probably best for the listeners' sake that we wrap up. Uh, the last thing I ask people is, do you have anything that you want to plug? Yeah. Okay. I want to plug... I think I already mentioned it. 
Penny Arcade show. It's going to be at the Albany. It's called Bitch Dyke Fag Headquarters. It's an anti-censorship show. Okay. It's a great show. I've known her for 20-something years. I was in the original cast of the show. And she says uh, really great things like, uh, people think that bitches are born when it takes years to become a bitch. <laughs> and she just really tells it like it is. If you're even remotely a fan of Caitlin Moran, Penny's her source. Okay, okay. She's just plagiarizing. Go see Penny. Okay. Well, I know some fans <laughs> of Caitlin Moran, so hopefully they'll, they'll be listening and they'll want to go. And that's in December, yeah? Yeah. So I'll, I'll find out the dates and I'll put this out a week before or whatever. So oh, great. In the bit that you hear next, I'll tell you the date. Penny Arcade's show, Bitch Dyke Baghag Whore is on at the Albany from the 15th to the 23rd of December and on the 14th of December she's also doing a show called Tea with Penny Arcade and I've just made arrangements to go along with Lara to that anyone can go so if you're interested in seeing her in a different format that might also be of interest to you the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience Goodbye and thank you very much. It was lovely having you. Please don't forget to tip your bartenders and your waitresses. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks very much. I'm not going to try an American accent. <laughs> Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.